0: Now for your feature presentation. Just one, or two, or three, or four, five, force five.
1: What's up, listeners? I am your host, X-Video Store Clerk, Undiscovered Screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg, and this is Force Five, a show where I force my guest to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. Join me today as we welcome back a man who has made many platonic friendships while podcasting, Billy Ray Bruton from Movie Mixtapes, The Incinerator, Center Clueless, probably others, the man is a prolific podcaster. This was a really fun show, and we highlight some great platonic male friendships, even though Billy Ray vehemently hates one of my picks. Which one, you ask? Well, of course, you're going to have to stay tuned to find that out. Before we get to Billy Ray, on the last show, I had Dwayne Swierzynski on, the author, my favorite author, to talk top five films with two characters' names as the title. And while we didn't have a huge response for the things that we missed, we did have a few, and the internet was quick to tell us. Not in the top five did they get it right. Excuse my language. Okay. Hell no. (laughs) I can't believe. Who, who made that list who made that that's blasphemous Don't look at me that's blasphemous now some of these do not fit our criteria which was just the names but matonio said queen and slim alien versus predator beavis and butthead do america harold and kumar go to white castle batman versus superman justice rises and uh, he had a bonus pick as well Freddy versus Jason. Now, for our roles, we obviously were not using verses, or it just had to be the names, but those are all uh, all some great suggestions. Lencho Rubio added Godzilla versus King Kong, and uh, Frankie and Johnny from 1991. That one would work. Kate and Leopold as well. Eric Holmes, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, Eddie and the Cruisers. I don't know if that if that would have counted. The Cruisers being a group of people, Dwayne probably would have shot me down on that one. Fondo y Liz is one that I had not heard of though. Thank you for that one, Eric. Bruce Perky added Eagle versus Shark and Bonnie and Clyde. Matt Stillman added Jules and Jim, the Bill and Ted series. Andrew Martin said Debbie does Dallas. Uh, Debbie would count Dallas. Uh, collection of people. And then we had Matt on Twitter say X versus Sever. Uh, I invite you to watch that movie again. As an action film fan, not great. Not great, but thanks for the suggestion. If you want to let me and uh, Billy Ray know what we missed after today's list, you can hit me up on Twitter at Force5Pod. You can hit me up on Instagram at Force5Podcast. You can also see me on the Cinematics Facebook page or send me a good old-fashioned email at Force5Podcast at gmail.com. Now, for today's featured review, uh, I I got two. One's going to be very short. This one I'm not going to do a full review on. I watched a movie this weekend. It would have been perfect for this list. It is called They Look Like People from 2015. And if I had seen it previous to recording, it would have made my list. This has an amazing male friendship, but I realized I can't really talk much about this movie without spoiling things. And I think it's best to go in blind. So I will just say, if you like slow burn... Kind of weird, lo-fi horror. This is like no-budget filmmaking right here. It deals with mental illness in a really respectful way. It does not demonize it. Uh, The sound design is such that I was really on the edge of my seat, especially at the end of this movie. I highly recommend They Look Like People, but um, yeah, I I can't talk much more about it. However, my featured review for today could probably have made this list as well. It is the 2023 French film, The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan. A young d'Artagnan is on his way, or d'Artagnan, as they say in the film, is on his way to Paris to attempt to join the musketeers when he tries, unsuccessfully, stopping a young woman from being killed during a raid on her carriage. Left for dead, he eventually makes it to Paris and sees one of the men responsible for killing the woman while he's there. Unfortunately, while rushing to apprehend this man, he runs into three different musketeers who each challenge him to separate duels. And in a really funny scene, all three musketeers show up to the same place to fight d'artagnan and uh, when the church's army interferes d'artagnan and those three musketeers porthos athos and aramis bond a bond that will only become stronger when they realize there's a war bubbling underneath france and they may be the only men who can stop it Alexandre dumas the three musketeers was released in 1844 and is widely known as a masterpiece in the world of literature over the years there have been dozens of adaptations reimaginings and sequels While the first on-screen adaptation is rumored to have been from France in 1903, the first adaptation to gain an audience was the 1921 silent film The Three Musketeers, which starred Douglas Fairbanks. Other notable versions include a 1933 reimagining starring John Wayne, in which the Musketeers were instead a part of the French Foreign Legion in North Africa, a 1973 version starring Michael York, Charlton Heston, Raquel Welch, and Faye Dunaway, the 1993 Disney adaptation starring Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell, and Tim Curry, and more recently, a 2011 3D version by Paul W.S. Anderson, which starred Logan Lerman, Ray Stevenson, Christoph Waltz, Mads Mikkelsen, Orlando Bloom, and of course his wife, Mila Jovovich. I have not read the book, although I have thought about doing so, and I've only seen a few of the films. I saw the 1993 version and don't remember a thing about it. I'm sure I saw it when I was 12. I saw 2001's The Musketeer, which I haven't seen since it was in theaters, but I remember liking it. It was a wire-foo version, like a, a take on the Asian action style that was that was really blowing up at the time and I've seen the animated Disney version starring Mickey, Donald, and Goofy because my kid put it on once. Needless to say, I do not have an attachment to the source material, and I know very little about what actually happens in the book. This film starts with the raid on a young woman's carriage, and it's all stitched together to make it seem like one long take, one of several scenes like this in the film, when the dust clears, we're introduced to D'Artagnan, a persistent young French lad intent on joining the King's guard. He's played by Francois Seville, who American audiences would probably know as Papillon from As Above, So Below, and feels like a more charming Jon Snow. When he gets to the castle, we're introduced to the other three musketeers. We have Athos, played by Vincent Cassel, Aramis, played by Romain Dury, and Porthos, played by Pio Marmai. We're also roped into the trappings of royalty. The French king and his queen, her maiden confidant Constance Bonacieux, played by the lovely Lena Coudry, who people may have seen in the French Dispatch, and some others, including the nefarious Milady, played by Eva Green. Not long after, we're brought into a mystery featuring a man framed for murder, a plot which will run right through King Louis VIII. First things first, this is directed by a guy named Martine Bourboulin, who I'd never heard of before, and I have to say, this movie looks gorgeous. Every shot is deliciously framed. The costumes and the settings, almost all of which were filmed on location in France, are exquisite. The lighting is gorgeous. This film and its sequel were filmed at the same time for around $70 million. You see all of that money on screen. It was shot by award-winning Canadian cinematographer Nicolas Bolduc, and what a job he did. I was kind of unfamiliar with his work, but he lensed 2013's Enemy by Denis Villeneuve, and, uh, man... This movie looks fucking awesome. And looks aside, this film as a whole is a lot of fun. The battle scenes, while chaotic, are easy to follow and are well shot. The battles are not gratuitous. Uh, a couple of people are skewered and blown away, but it's definitely a PG-13 level. A lot of swords come out clean of blood and most people hit by bullets just kind of roll to the ground. The characters all share a wonderful chemistry, and that goes for the side characters as well. Sure, I want to have a beer with D'Artagnan and his friends, but I also really cared for the budding love story between him and Constance. I even cared for the Queen, who didn't have a ton of screen time, but there's an important subplot regarding a missing necklace with a ticking clock that I really wanted to see go her way. It reminded me of old-school swashbucklers. There was adventure, you have romance, you have some comedy. Reviews from people who saw it in France have said that there's a nice dose of comedy. I think the subtitled version that I watched lost a little bit of that in translation. The subtitles I had were not great, often leaving me to interpret things, so I'd love to see this with official, really great subtitles. My only real complaint about the film is that there's so much going on and so many characters introduced that I started to get a little bit lost with all the faces that I had seen. It felt like the first season of Game of Thrones in that regard, although by the end of the film, I feel like I had it all down. The film is trying to cover so much ground that this could have easily been a miniseries. For example, there's a small moment in time where three of the Musketeers split up to try and identify three separate rings in order to get a lead on the murder plot. We, of course, stick with D'Artagnan, his name is in the title after all, yet I'd have loved to see what adventures the other two got into that day. We spend around five minutes at this masquerade ball in the English Duke of Buckingham's castle. And it was so amazing. I just wanted to spend more time there. It was a really intriguing place. They had all these amazing costumes, but you only see it for like a split second and then it's gone. I had a blast with the Three Musketeers and D'Artagnan, and I cannot wait to see how everything wraps up. The film ends with a cliffhanger. The second part, titled The Three Musketeers Milady, will hit around Christmas in France, and I'm hoping that it gets some kind of theatrical release here in the Bay Area, because I'd love to see the second part on a proper screen. The first one was shown on IMAX screens in France, so who knows? Maybe it'll make its way here. Either way, uh, I'm going to be snagging the 4K version when this is available because it seems like it's going to be home theater reference material. I highly recommend this one, although I hope when it's widely available, the subtitles are much better than what I got. Now, for a U.S. release, I believe this is going to be in theaters in December, the first part, while as the second part will be airing in December in France, so... We'll see how it shakes out. I'm definitely going to be uh, staying on top of it because if this comes to screens here in America, I will for sure go see this again on the big screen. That's The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan from 2023. D'Artagnan, however you want to say it. You get it. Alright, speaking of getting it, there are a ton of social media services out there and it's especially important now that Elon Musk has been doing his best to kill what used to be a great service called Twitter. People are now on Mastodon, Blue Sky, the service formerly known as Twitter that everyone will continue to call Twitter no matter what the app icon says, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Clubhouse, Myspace, AOL, Instant Messenger, probably still, and more. With all of these services, it's tough to keep track of where your friends are trying to reach you. Luckily, today's sponsor, Woof, changes all of that.
0: Hey, I'm Woof. I'm Facebook. What's up, Facebook? I sent you a Facebook message yesterday. I still haven't heard anything back. You should have sent me a Woof. A what? When you send a Woof, it goes to your home phone, cell phone, email, Facebook, Twitter, and home screen, all at the same time. Woof. 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 Woof.
1: Woof. woof. It sends a message blast to every social media service you have. Text, email, WhatsApp, your home phone, your home screen, and even your printer all at the same time. You'll never miss a message again. Don't forget to customize your woof with three different options to suit any personality. Pitbull, terrier, or golden retriever. And your avatar. You can customize down to your tail length. Do you woof? Now it's time for Billy Ray Bruton and platonic male friendships. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. Today, I'm welcoming back a returning guest, Billy Ray Bruton. You may remember Billy Ray from, shit, what, just about a year ago now when we did Top 5 Suburban on Wii Films. Billy Ray, how are
0: you? I'm doing swell, Jason. Uh, living the dream here in the Emerald City, uh, where it is currently 217 degrees. But <laughs> it's okay. Just the norm now. The humidity is <laughs> only like 150 degrees, so it's, it's fine. It's fine.
1: I got my Seattle hat on for you here. <clears throat>
0: oh, you do? You're sporting the old-school Mariners.
1: Yep, and I I got my Seattle coffee cup here
0: for you, too. Well, you're totally themed. I wish I had something... Th- well, you know what? I've got this Powerade bottle. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe they'll sponsor your podcast one day. Force 5, brought to you by Powerade. Every few minutes, you'll be, like, in the middle of a really deep discussion with a guest. and Like, yeah, yeah. I can't understand the tragedy or the loss of losing a child, but what I do understand is the delicious
1: electrolytes (laughs)
0: that you can find in any bottle of Powerade. Powerade, get it!
1: Get it. Billy Ray, speaking of get it, you are getting all kinds of podcasts out there. You're a podcast machine. Too many. Too many. In addition to your many guest appearances on shows like mine, and of course, Screen Drafts, where you're basically an honorary member of that show. You've also got a couple of your own. And I want to touch on uh, movie mixtapes first, because that's the one that I was just on. And it's... Kind of a revamp of Movies with Gravy, but why don't yeah. you tell us about uh, Movie Mixtape?
0: Yeah, it is a revamp of Movies with Gravy. I can't really tell you why I decided to revamp it, other than it was just a whim that I had. But yeah, it's a podcast I have a different guest on each week. The guest chooses a theme. In your case, you chose Kids versus Dangerous Adults. They choose a film that goes along with that theme that sort of acts as the first track of our mixtape. In your case, it was Cloak and & Dagger. And then me and my guests take turns adding additional titles to that list until we come up with a seven track movie mixtape that we hope is perfect for a lazy Sunday sometime in the future when you ain't got shit else to do.
1: Yeah, it was really fun to do. I see a lot of cool topics coming up on the feed. So I'm looking forward to All the cool guests you got.
0: It's fun. Like, I've I've had more people reach out to me about this one than any other podcast in terms of just wanting to be on. Because I think the commitment is smaller. Like, my other podcast, The Incinerator, it's anywhere from two and a half to three and a half hours. It's chaos. Hell, even we don't know the rules and we created the show. (laughs) Like, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Movie Mixtapes is a lot more, you know, straight down the middle.
1: Yeah, well, let's talk about Incinerator, the Calvin Ball of podcasts, if you will. Just making shit up as you go. Uh, we're in season two now.
0: In season two, I'm not even going to try to describe it. I'll just tell you, it's uh, there's some film spotting mixed with some screen drafts. Good luck. Like That's the best <laughs> way. To just The best way anybody can know about it is to just listen to an episode. And uh, that's the easiest way to figure out what it's about. But it is a lot of fun. Me and Ryan, Verrill, my co-host, we have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, it's just fun to bring on a lot of like amazingly knowledgeable movie people, and just watch them slowly deflate and become infuriated <laughs> over a game that was designed to do just that.
1: Yeah, I'll never hear the end of getting rid of Pulp Fiction so early <laughs> oh, on I mine. Know.
0: And I and I also host a political podcast now, also called Center Clueless, which is uh, me and my buddy Eric Searle... Uh, We just kind of take a day-by-day approach to politics. We both consider ourselves left-leaning centrists, and that's what that podcast is all about. So you can check that out, too. Like I said, too many podcasts, but I'm having fun. They haven't crippled me yet, so.
1: I don't know how you find the time for all of them. And again, I say it every time (laughs) we talk. I do not envy your editor.
0: Well, that's Ryan Verrill, the aforementioned, who uh, produces and edits all of my podcasts, in addition to having his own very productive podcast and two children. Don't know how. So, yeah, I don't know how he does it. He constantly amazes me at what he's able to take on and do it with, like, always in a good mood, always happy to be there. Like, can't say enough good, great things about Ryan. Super excited to have him uh, in my universe now.
1: Yeah, he's great. And he's been on this show, too. His podcast is Disconnected. So That's make right. sure to go check out Disconnected.
0: Yeah, especially if you're a physical media fan, you're going to dig it. You know,
1: you've made a lot of friendships in podcast land. We're talking about top five platonic male friendships today. We sure are. Big topic. Tons of honorable mentions on on my list. Like, just so many good ones. Oh, really? What what sparked your interest in the topic? Because originally we had talked about a different topic and then you came up with this one.
0: Well, I think I have always, and when I say always, ever since I was a kid, I have been fascinated with platonic male friendships. So I grew up. I grew up a gay kid in the Deep South, a very uh, rural, uh, conservative part of Alabama. You don't say. Exactly. Now, I didn't... I was fortunate. I didn't, you know, receive the kind of discrimination that a lot of people did. I didn't experience that. Um, But I was a gay kid. I knew I was different. I knew that, at least at the time, I didn't think there were any other gay or queer people in my sphere. And so I naturally became friends with all the straight guys. I mean that was just it. That was those were my options at that point. And and i even to this day I've always said I am more comfortable around straight guys than I am gay guys. And that's the truth. I, I just I grew up around them. I know how to talk to them. I, I can relate to them in ways and I feel like anytime I'm relating with a gay person, I have to speak up to all of these like shared grievances that I generally just don't am not on the same you know, in, in the same realm with. And so, you know, all of my my friends, all of my best friends have been guys. They've typically been straight guys even to this day. And I deal with a lot of, if I'm friends with a straight guy, let alone a straight guy who is, you know, by someone's definition, attractive or hot. The natural assumption is, oh, well, there must be something going on there. Yeah. Or he's only friends with him because he wants to get in his pants. And it's like, hey, that's so reductive and so offensive. And like, no, 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 no. But um, I, I think all of that together is just kind of, I'm really into those films because I also don't think many films do a good job of capturing those relationships because, like, I've had really close, platonic, intimate relationships with guys that have been totally non-sexual, entirely. Right. Like, my, my best friend now is a straight guy, lovely girlfriend. Um, you know, we've been as close and as intimate as guys can be never once been sexualized, never once been anything romantic about that. It's just, you know, the, the how I choose to relate to my friends. And so that's been a long answer to a very simple question. But to, to answer your question, I've been building to this episode all of my life.
1: <laughs> I was wondering, yeah, when, when you brought this up, I wondered if there was maybe a specific movie that you saw. There that, is. Yeah, and I'm sure that will probably be on your list.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. There, it, it, there was. I mean, I've always been fascinated by this, but... Like I want to say, I didn't have an easy time finding films because I think maybe my criteria is is very specific because like my my specificity is like I didn't want to choose anything that had any hint of a romance at all. Like cannot have any hint of a romance. And I'll talk about a couple titles that straddle the line that I chose not to include, but there can't be that. And it has to be what I consider to be An intimate relationship a platonic relationship it can't be just a couple of buddies who like get along and hang out on weekends like that it has to be a close intimate relationship and it does not segue into romance at all
1: yeah i had i had to narrow this down too so i used a couple of pieces of criteria for mine number one they had to be actual real life human beings and I know that sounds weird, but there are a lot of a lot of really great platonic friendships for uh, like Pixar movies, a ton of them in there that I did not include on my list. And then the other thing that I made sure to do on mine was these characters needed to be friends before the first time we saw them on screen. That was one of my requirements for my list, just to narrow things down.
0: That's a good that's a good that's actually a really good requirement. Um I, my, I, am not quite that. That isn't a requirement that I went for, but I actually appreciate sure. that requirement.
1: Yeah, that's just one thing that I use to to get the list down because there's just so many of so many really great ones.
0: <sighs> See, I still, I, I, wasn't able, I, I had to dig. Oh, really? There are not a lot that I consider good. It's, well, they're good movies, but they don't necessarily handle platonic male friendships in a way that I think is accurate. They can All still right. be great films but I just didn't think they were good enough for this topic.
1: Well, we'll see if my picks are good enough for you, because for I've got uh, five on my list, obviously, oh. and then I'm looking at my honorable mentions. I have like ten honorable mentions.
0: I consider myself an expert on this topic, so I'm going to be very judgy this episode. You, very, you very be judgy. judgy. Very, very well, judgy.
1: Well, speaking of judgments, speaking of lists, you ready to get into this list, Billy
0: Ray? Let's do it. Let's dive in. You know what's going to happen? Let's
1: get platonic top five platonic male friendships. You want to go first or you want me to go first?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, You know, I think I'm going to let you set the stage and and get the vibe going. So I'm going to let you go first.
1: So most of my picks, the friendships are really front and center. This one, the friendship between the two males is kind of off to the side, but I really, really love it nonetheless. And I rewatched it today just to make sure that it still holds up and that I was still right in my memory, and I definitely was. This is the friendship between Greg and Earl from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl from 2015. I have no idea how to tell this story, so I'll just start here. I'm terminally awkward. I have a face like a groundhog. Don't make this about you. How are
0: you coworkers?
1: We make films. They're terrible. Rachel's been diagnosed with leukemia. I'm
0: sick, I'm not dying. That's what I'm talking about. Life can keep unfolding itself to you as long as you pay attention. Word. I can't fist bump from up here. Rated PG-13.
1: If you've not seen this film, it's a story of this kid Greg in his senior year. And as he says in the very first line of the movie and how he made a film so bad, it literally killed somebody. So Greg and Earl have been friends since kindergarten. A lot of us have those relationships where we still are best friends with people that we met in school. These guys were best friends from kindergarten all the way up until the point in this film, which is their senior year. Uh, but according to Greg, they're coworkers, and this is uh, a funny piece of the film where he calls Greg his coworker, or he calls uh, Earl his coworker. And the the dying girl in this in the film, she asks at one point, "Why does he call you his coworker?" And he says, nah, "We're friends. He's just terrified to call somebody his friends." Dude's got issues. And their, uh, their hobby together, they spend time remaking classic films with really dumb titles. And they do these. They've made 42 really bad films. And they vary from Senior Citizen Kane, Eyes Wide Butt, My Dinner with Andre the Giant. They also enjoy watching classic and foreign films. And they actually spend their lunch hours at school in one of the teacher's offices watching these uh, like amazing films and documentaries and stuff. And uh, some, so some friendship things that they've done together Because on each each pick. Uh, I've chosen like a couple of things that happen in these films where they kind of share a moment of friendship. They experience pot cookies together for the very first time and they don't know that they've taken edibles. And so they're in class and all of a sudden <laughs> they are uh, starting to go all wacky. It's hilarious. And then uh, at one point, Greg gets roped into making one more film for the dying girl, and Earl says, now you're in trouble because I didn't agree to make this, and Greg's like, so you're not going to help me? And Earl just responds, yeah, of course I am. Let's go make this. Now, like a lot of the, the friendships in my film, there is a blow up at one point between the two, but ultimately Earl will come to Greg's rescue, as he always does. This is a great movie. It's got a ton of amazing actors in here that I totally forgot about, uh, Connie Britton, Nick Offerman, Molly Shannon, John Bernthal's the teacher. He's fucking awesome as the teacher. And you even get like a little five second voiceover from Hugh Jackman at yeah. one point. And then R.J. Seiler, who plays Earl, is just a standout in this film. He was in, oh, what was the cowboy movie from a couple years ago? Uh, Harder They Fall. He was my yeah. favorite character in Harder They Fall. Um, And by the way, this this movie was originally going to be on my griefs film list, which we had talked about doing. And it just so happened that it fits so nicely onto this list. So, yeah, Greg and Earl is my number five.
0: Well, um, well, we can get to that grief list later in the we, we can do. That'll be my next visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually considered this for this list. Uh, I did a thing earlier today where I was like, you know what? I haven't scanned my Blu-ray shelf. I'm going to scan my Blu-ray shelf and see if I'm forgetting anything. And this was one what that, I did that pinged my brain. I was like, oh, that's right. I didn't quite include it. I do love this film. Um, a lot of people shit on this film now. I actually really. I, oh yeah, this film gets a lot of hate. People think it think it's too twee and all that. I mean, I think it got a bad rap because it got they acquired it for so much money out of Sundance. And yeah. comparatively, it bombed. It didn't do particularly well at the box office. I love this filmmaker. I love Alfonso Gomez-Rajon. He also did the reboot slash sequel to The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which I am yeah, a well-known, well-known fan of. Um, yeah, this is a great choice. I love this film. It, it, I think it's so sweet. And, and uh, I think the parodies, the film parodies are spot on. I think the friendships feel real and lived in. And, you know, look, I cried like a baby multiple times, so... Yeah. And this would be this would be a good uh, uh, c- consideration for a grief list, too, for sure. Absolutely.
1: It's funny, I, I so I rewatched a bunch of films for this, and every pick on my list has a moment in the movie where I shed tears, for sure.
0: Yeah. Great choice!
1: All right, Billy Ray, number five for you.
0: Okay, so this is one... Um, well, obviously, it's a film I adore. It wouldn't be on here if it's not. And, um... There were a lot of films that I considered from the UK, because I think, you know, the UK has a tendency of creating, like, platonic male friendships in an effective way. I was thinking of something like the Monty or things like that. But I don't know that they all reach a level of intimacy. Now, I considered Edgar Wright. I ended up not including Edgar Wright on this list, which I know a lot of people will be shocked by. But I did go with another British filmmaker, and that is Bruce Robinson. And the film I went with is With Nell and I, from 1987. To a delightful weekend in the country. You are cordially invited to spend a carefree weekend in the English countryside. Bask in the warm sunshine.
1: We've gone on holiday by mistake.
0: Enjoy the rustic pleasure of country living.
1: It's gonna be so cold in here, like Greenland in here. Wants to get down there and have sex with those cows. Ah! Mm-hmm. Partake of fine varietal wine. Oh, drunk. I assure you I'm not, officer. I've only had a few ales. Get in the back of the back! Take lunch at a charming pub. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here, and we want them now.
0: Which stars uh, Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann as two very close friends. They're out-of-work actors. Uh, the Paul McGann character is, you know, is anxious and all over the place. The Richard E. Grant character is, of course, sassy and, and an alcoholic. And they don't do much. Like, they live in a terrible uh, apartment or, or flat, uh, unemployed. They're always drinking at the pub. Um, they end up at the country house of Richard E. Grant's very, very gay uncle, played by Richard Griffiths. And that's sort of what sets the events of the of the film into motion. And um, they're dealing with everything. They're dealing with, like, crazy-ass local folks. They're dealing with weather. And the entire time, you know, you're watching this very bizarre and very particularly British friendship really thrive. And, you know, when you meet this, they're already thick as thieves, right? Already established, you know, there's so much to this relationship that we aren't privy to. Um, and I just love the way it develops over the course of this film and the way those two characters relate to each other. They're like brothers, but not for all better and for worse, uh, connotations. And, um, and this is also a film that I just always find myself, you know, trying to get in people's, uh, eyeballs more often. I think this is a really awesome film that doesn't get as much appreciation these days as it should. And Bruce Robinson, a really, really terrific filmmaker. If you haven't seen this, um, I know a lot of people haven't. But Richard E. Grant, if you're a Richard E. Grant fan, I mean, this is just, this is going to be heaven for you.
1: I have not seen this one yet, so I guess I need to put this on my list.
0: You need to put this one on your list. It's great. And also, I can't say enough about Richard Griffith. or not, Yeah, Richard Griffiths, the late Richard Griffiths. He's so much fun. He's so much fun. This is the film that really put him on the map in film. Most people just know him playing Harry Potter's uncle. But like, this is the oh, film yeah. that this is the film that really he was already like a master thespian on stage. But this is the film that really got him into the the more mainstream zeitgeist.
1: I think this one is in the Criterion Collection, too.
0: I think you're right. It, would sh- it actually would surprise me if it wasn't. Yeah, I it's, think it it's is. I mean, it's great. It's great. I mean, if anybody out there is going to put together a list of the top 10 greatest British films of all time, this film's in the conversation. 100 percent. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, uh, with nail and I at number five for you. Like I've said before, this show is really bad at segues because we're getting about as far from With Neil <laughs> and I with my number four as you can get. There are a couple films on my list or a couple pairings on my list that stretch out over multiple films. And that is why I've become to love these folks so much. And my number four is my favorite buddy cop duo. Uh-huh. Could have been a list of five buddy cop films, but I'm going with Marcus Burnett, Mike Lowry from the Bad Boys series. Oh. I love these guys. I kind of grew up with these guys. They have uh, been partners since they became police officers. Because of that, uh, they have become best friends. They are a true odd couple. They are complete opposites. You know it from the moment we see them on screen in the first Bad Boys where Mike's driving his fancy Porsche and uh, Marcus has a coffee and he's looking for the cup holder and there's no cup holders in there. He's used to the minivan life with all of his kids and stuff. They're just complete opposites. Bickering going back and forth like friends do, but we do see how close they are right away. We see Marcus and, and Mike, how how he um how he integrated into their family. Like Uncle Mike is here, is is how they introduce him. And like I said, they're like four or five years into their friendship at this point, because the first one came out in ninety-five, but they are family already. And we see them go on, of course, a couple of adventures. They break up a heroin ring in the first one. They go up against the KKK and some Haitians in the second one. And then in the third one, which was way more emotional than I thought it was going to be, Marcus is about to retire and, and settle in to be a grandpa. And then shit goes down with Mike. Some friendship things. Uh, so, some like key moments in their relationship. First off, there's a hilarious moment in the first one where Marcus and Marcus needs to impersonate Mike. So he's doing his best impression of Mike. It's so funny. And at the same time, Mike is staying with Marcus's family and Marcus thinks that Mike's having a, uh, an affair with his wife, which is really funny. Uh, in the second one, they get to interrogate Reggie, who's going to take out Marcus's daughter. And Mike poses as, like, this uncle who just got out of jail. Really funny scene. You got joints on you? You smoke that shit? No, sir. You trying to get my daughter high? You smoke Mark. that shit? Nigga, who that is? It's Reggie! Who the fuck is Reggie? Came to take Megan out.
0: What you want, nigga? here um, to take your daughter out. What's your name? Reggie. Well, no, y'all heard the motherfucker say your name Reggie. You want to take a Megan out? How old is you? Fifteen. Shit, nigga, you at least thirty. This is Can You fight? You can fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, you fucking, you can't fight. Look at Mike, you. Look. No, I, I wanna want to know if the fight. nigga. I don't, I wanna, somebody gonna this take my niece godfather. out? I want to know if the nigga can fight. Somebody okay. might come say something. Hey. The nigga can't fight. She can't go. This is is
1: Megan's godfather. godfather okay, he just got out the joint. Why you putting all my business in the street?
0: Why you putting I just got out okay? of jail and I ain't going back. I ain't going back.
1: And then in three. Man, there's an emotional scene where in the very first scene of Bad Boys for Life, Mike gets gunned down and almost dies. And in, and Marcus is in a church. He's given a speech about how he just wants God to bring his best friend back, and he's going to give up the violence. Bad Boys for Life, man. Bad Boys. Marcus Burnett and Mike Lowry at my number four.
0: Wow. Um, I considered Lethal Weapon 2. Mm-hmm. That one I considered. I never considered Bad Boys, but i got to be honest. This franchise just never hit for me. Oh, no. Um, no, never hit for me. It was not a franchise that I particularly loved. Now, Lethal Weapon hit for me. Lovely Lethal Weapon. I was Weapon. a big Lethal Weapon fan. I, I actually have fondness for... The fourth one's hard to defend, but I have some fondness for it. Um, yeah, I love... I lo- Yeah, I, I. it's been so long since I've even seen Bad Boys. Uh, it's hard to even... I've seen all of them. Actually, that's not true. I did not see Bad Boys for Life because I just wasn't particularly interested. But um, I, I did see the the, the the previous ones. And, yeah, it's just I, I understand why it's on here. I understand uh, if I, I would have gone a different route, though, with the buddy cop, I would have gone a different route. But I get this one. There
1: were a couple I considered. Lethal Weapon is on my honorable mentions. Considered that one. If I had not just played Freebie and the Bean, that would have been on as, my, as one of my buddy sure. cop
0: ones. Sure, sure, sure.
1: Since I had just played that for uh, movies with two characters' names that make up the title. Oh well. You know, I don't know that you'd get a whole lot out of three if you didn't like one and two.
0: Yeah, and, and and it's not that I thought I thought they were bad. It was just like this just isn't hitting for me. Like it just isn't. I don't know whatever reason it just isn't working for me. Um, yeah. And maybe one day I'll revisit the whole franchise, and I'll have a complete new appreciation for it. It's entirely possible; it happens a lot.
1: I really like the first one. The second one I'm not as hot on. The third one I like more than the second one, but the first one is, you know, it's Michael Bay excess. And if you're into that, you're it's it's going to hit for you. And if you're not, ain't
0: nobody knows, it, ain't nobody do it better. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, number four for you.
0: Well, you know, my next choice is a decent segue. It is about um, two buddies very different circumstances and I'm shocked to even say that this franchise has exceeded bad boys in terms of installments and it is maybe not even maybe, it's one of my favorite franchises of all time I could pick any installment from this franchise but I'm going to go with the third one and I'm going to go with The Trip to Spain Would you ever do Shakespeare? I would have liked to have played Hamlet Come with me on a journey of life Watch your head we should enjoy this mm. moment. In We're at the sweet spot. I am in my prime. Victor makes the chorizo like his grandmother. If his grandmother tasted like this, I'd have a nibble. Goodbye, Mr. Bart. You should pay more attention to your chef. Oh, you do make me laugh. In Select Cities Friday. Oh, yeah. This is the third out of the four. Uh, films that combine the hysterical Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, who play themselves. Uh, It is adapted from the uh, popular uh, BBC series. They basically take the series that airs over there and they condense it into a film. Michael Winterbottom does. The great Michael Winterbottom. All four of these films, I think, are five-star films. I, I don't think any one is better than the other, which is shocking because they are all crazy similar they are all the same thing they are these two friends going on these road trips trying all this amazing food at these amazing restaurants there was the trip the trip to Italy then trip to Spain and then the trip to Greece which from what I hear is the final one but you never know Uh, I, I chose this one because I think I think this is where you really start seeing the deepness Of their friendship in a way that you don't in the previous two films. Because they're talking about things here that they haven't really touched on as deeply before. Like fatherhood. And uh, what the idea of legacy means. And and I found that really, really interesting. And they have such an amazing back and forth. Like their 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 chemistry in real life is is so like just right there and always on. And yes, there's a there's a bit of like performance to this. Obviously they're playing themselves, but it's still performative. It's not a documentary. And um and I don't know, I just you really feel the deepness of that friendship here. And you feel like, you know, these two people are bonded for life. You know they are. You know they could go five years without seeing one another, and then they would still be the closest friends on the planet. And I think that's that's part of to me what makes a really substantial friendship. And uh, and I just think they do a really good job of capturing that. And plus, they're just loads of fun. And um, and this to me is not the most fun of the franchise. I would say I would say trip to Italy is probably the most fun. But this one to me is the most meaningful especially for this list, so. Wow,
1: the tri- I, I have seen the first The Trip, but I have not seen any of the sequels.
0: They're all incredible. They're, I, they could make one a year, and I'd be first in line to see each and every one of them.
1: Well, I'm a big Steve Coogan fan, so at some point i got to catch up.
0: Oh, gosh, they're both just so good in here. It's just, it's so, so good.
1: You know what I love about this show is that these lists are so varied. Yeah. Because uh, I can... Almost guarantee that my number three is nowhere near your list, but uh I guess oh, we're gonna see. <laughs> okay. I could have gone with a whole lot of characters from the View universe. Oh god. But I'm going with Dante and Randall from the Clerk series.
0: Definitely not on mine.
1: <laughs> I figured as much. Dante and Randall, these dudes, uh, not only have they been best friends for their whole lives, they have also worked at the same places their whole lives first at the quick stop. And then in the second one, which I kind of disown at a place called Movies, like a fast food place. And then finally for the third one back to the quick stop, which they now own and have converted the video store next door into a dispensary. Randall's kind of the laid back one. He runs the video store in the first one, and he often closes the video store to walk next door and and talk to his buddy about movies and comic books. It's just a really interesting relationship about these two guys who are essentially inseparable over the course of shit from 94 until 2022. Are you just not a fan of the Clerk series in general, or are you just. uh, I'm not a fan of the Clerk series
0: in general. Yeah. Not at all. See, I.
1: I kind of, uh, I have a deeper connection to Clerks than a lot of people do, and it was, Kevin Smith was kind of a, he was kind of an inspiration to me when I started getting into filmmaking and just his story was really cool to me, so I've always latched onto that first Clerks. I don't really love everything that he does, I really dislike Clerks too but for clerk's 3 it had a surprising amount of heart there's a so at, at the beginning of clerk's 3 have you seen clerk's 3 uh,
0: uh, uh no no no, no i had, probably I no certain, plans to after after clerk's 2 i had no desire to see clerk's 3
1: yeah i went in uh with no expectations and It's kind of Kevin Smith's play on what happened to him. Like Randall starts the film with a massive heart attack at the beginning, and then fearing he's done nothing with his life, he gets his friends involved to make a movie about his life at the quick stop, which is essentially he's making Clerks 1 in Clerks 3. But there's a really fantastic moment at the end of Clerks 3 where he basically says, you know, Dante, you've always been the main character in my life, in my movie, and and his reply is he's not my favorite director, he's also my best friend. I got way more emotional than I ever figured I would watching a Clerks film because, like you, I thought two was terrible, but the connections from one to three were enough to make me really latch onto something. And if, if I'm gonna move to Florida, I can only hope that my best friend would throw a donkey show for me. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, boy. So, I like Kevin Smith a lot. I, I typically don't like his films, which is my problem with them. I, there, are, there are exceptions. Like, I think Dogma is great. I think uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is really fun, but like, all of the early stuff just missed me entirely. Like, I, 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 and I don't mean this to anybody who loves this franchise. I know a lot of people do. I would quite literally rather watch paint dry than watch Clerks again. <laughs> it was so boring to me. And so, like, these are I just these are not the kind of characters I root for. They are the kind that annoy me after, like, five seconds. And I remember seeing Clerks too and being like, I can't spend another 15 minutes with these people. Like, they're insufferable. And I can't do it. And, like, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I like some of the things that it's doing. But yeah, boy, yeah, Kevin Smith just missed me with this one. He just missed me with all of these. So basically this list is uh, Jason playing a lot of films that I hate.
1: And you playing a lot of films I haven't seen.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's, the way, that's the way it goes. Uh, but yeah this, is, yeah, this is just not one that does it for me. And this is not one I have any inkling of revisiting. I just know this one is not for me.
1: Yeah, and I, I said this during my review of Clerks 3. I think the enjoyment you'll get out of that one is directly linked to, to how much you like the first one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Wow. Uh, So, I was going to say I've got it. It's a hard one to follow up, but it's not because it's Clerks. (laughs) Um, Boy, this is actually tough because I've actually started second-guessing my choice. Oh, okay. Because I have two films that deal with similar subject matter. You know what? I'm going to go not the way I thought I was going to go. So... The subject matter I was choosing between was one that we've already touched on, which is cancer. Mm. Nothing breaks people together like an illness. And I thought very hard about playing 50-50. Yep. But I realized there's a better film that deals with it. And this is a film that I had no expectations for. I didn't know it existed. It just appeared one day and I watched it and it floored me for like two weeks. And it's from... Uh, 2019, it is a Netflix original, it's called Paddleton.
1: All right, listen, how about this? How about I'm gonna make a statement, and if it's a true statement, then you don't have to correct me. Is what Michael has incurable? Yeah, that's a question. You gotta, it has to be a statement. All right, it sta- has to be a, a statement. statement. And then it's All right, tricky. so my statement is, what Michael has is incurable. That's it. So I'm thinking, before it gets bad, I wanna end it. I don't want to change things, you know? I want to make some pizzas. I want to play some Paddleton. they got a whole process that they give you the pills you can take, but I don't want to do it alone, and I was hoping you'd
0: help me out. Oh, with Ray Romano? Yeah, so this is a film about a guy named Michael, uh, played by uh, Mark Duplass in absolutely his best role. And uh, he is really good friends with his neighbor, Uh, Andy, played by Ray Romano, and they sort of play this game that they've created together called Paddleton, where they go out, it's just this ridiculous game that they play, they make up the rules, it's their own thing. Well, Michael is diagnosed with terminal cancer, and it is, but does not want to prolong suffering, so he decides that he is going to, uh, uh, go go by assisted suicide and he has enlisted the ray romano character to assist him in that endeavor i don't know what is more intimate and personal and platonic than literally laying in a bed with your friend while he's dying and um i i just this movie floored me it is it's not a it's, it's a sh- tight movie. It's like 90 minutes long. If that, it, it doesn't waste a lot of time. It's a very simple premise, but boy, oh boy, DeMartin Duplass and Ray Romano just break your fucking heart. Like, Ray Romano has never been better. And this is someone who has been adoring him since parenthood, when he was really starting to first start out his dramatic chops. Now he's honestly become one of my favorite dramatic actors. I love seeing him show up in anything. And this one just floored me. I I, I still like I'm, it's a little bit of a miracle. This movie, and um and a lot of people haven't seen it. It just came on Netflix and went. There was hardly any promotion, and you, you can't even barely find it on there now. If it's even still on there, who knows? Yeah. But um uh, if you can check it out, I would encourage you to just be prepared. It is not going to leave you uh with the warm and fuzzies. It is it is a uh, dark, sad, funny. There's there's comedy in it. And the comedy is well balanced, but um, yeah, it's it can be a difficult film.
1: I think this was the first film that I watched when we all got locked down in our houses. Yeah. And uh, I had nowhere to go afterwards because the last scene, oh, I'm not going to oh, talk about the yeah, last scene in the movie, but I will say that it's, goddamn, it's heart-wrenching.
0: It's heart-wrenching and played so well and authentically and like you really feel it. It's like a gut punch.
1: Yeah, I, this one didn't even cross my mind, and it should have. Mark Duplass, I, I really love him as an actor and as a as a writer and a director too. But uh, yeah, he's he's great in this. And Ray Romano, I'm I'm not normally a a huge Ray Romano fan, but over the years, I'm getting to love him more and more, and it's because of roles like this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's making really good choices in his post like sitcom TV era. Yeah. He's making really really good choices.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, number two for me. Well, Billy Ray, when you're really great friends with somebody, you stop being just friends, and you become family. That's right.
0: Oh, God, no.
1: That's right. Dom and Brian. Dom and Brian from the Fast series. Oh, God. I love the Fast series. You don't love the
0: Fast series? I do, but for for platonic male friendships.
1: Listen to my
0: reasoning. No one is going to convince me that Dom doesn't want to get in Brian's (laughs) pants. You're never going to convince me of that.
1: Of course he does, but that would be Eskimo brothers with his sister. All right, look, here here are the reasons why I love Dom and Brian. Like, obviously, this this is like uh, Fast Five forward. Fast Five to Fast Seven is where where I'm talking about here. Because in the beginning, they're not friends. They're on opposite sides of the law. And then at the end of that film, there's a mutual respect between them. And then they reunite in Fast and Furious, which is, this, this is the worst naming convention for this. The whole series has terrible naming conventions, but Fast and Furious is the fourth one. And then they remain together through seven when Brian drives off into the sunset to live the family life. This one is really cool to me because it also bleeds into real life. Like, these guys were best friends in real life to the point where, after Paul Walker's death, Vin walked his daughter down the aisle at her wedding. He put her in the most recent film... You can tell that they're friends off screen. Now, friend things, things that really stand out here. Uh, First off, obviously, I mentioned it. Brian married Dom's sister. Okay. Uh, Have you seen the the most recent? I've seen them all. I've seen them all. (laughs) All right. So Dom names his kid after Brian, which is... Also, uh, kind of, it gets really odd in the context of the film world because he looks longingly at Brian's picture, in, even though in the film world he's well, alive.
0: Because they don't know how to handle that. <laughs> they just straight up don't know how to handle Paul Walker not being there. And no. they haven't figured it out yet.
1: They they have not. Uh Brian lets Dom get away in the first one. You know, I owed you a 10-second car. The safe dragging in five where Dom's ready to sacrifice himself for his best friend. This was always the plan. And... uh You know, most importantly, Dom does something that he would never do for anybody else. He lets Brian win a fucking race against him in a million dollar race in Fast Five because he knew Brian was going to be a father. None of the other guys knew that, but Dom knew that, and he lets Brian win the race. And, uh, of course, like the driveway in number seven where they go and split their their separate ways. How many people thought they were going to go into uh, Fast and Furious 7 and just cry like a baby on the way out? I mean, that's that's the great cap on that friendship. I don't. At some point, they got to bring Brian back somehow to to finish this thing out. Because like, with where the plot is now, how could you not figure out a way to bring him back? But you know, I don't think it's going to be the same. I love the I love the chemistry on screen between these guys.
0: I look. I've I love this franchise. I love how stupid it is. That's why I love this franchise. I don't look at it for its like compelling relationships or its like. So that's why I didn't even consider <laughs> this. I will, I will, I will just say, I am glad you get so much out of this franchise. I get no chemistry out of Paul Walker and Vin Diesel, even really? in the, no, none. It feels like, but then again, like I don't think Vin Diesel and Paul, or Paul Walker, and this is not speaking of the dead, chemistry with co-stars wasn't what they were known for. Like I don't think that's what they were known for as actors. Sure. Like they they brought up, you know, especially Vin Diesel, he brings a certain presence to a film. But look, I mean, it's certainly a friendship and a, a, a platonic friendship that has survived an entire franchise. I can't dispute that. Regardless of who we see on screen, who we don't see on screen, like, the fact that they're still, not only that they're friends, but that they're still fucking alive, well, in the universe, <laughs> yeah, um, is, is is enough for me to say, like, I'm more comfortable with this than I am bad boys or clerks.
1: Hey, look, you, you get invited to a Dom barbecue for some Coronas. You're in. You Wait, remind me, which
0: in. installment did you go with?
1: Uh, This is five through seven, really.
0: So you're cheating.
1: Things really start, we'll say five. We'll say five because that's where things really kick up a notch. That's where he, he lets Brian win the race.
0: Yeah, okay. I, I can get it with Fast Side. That is my favorite of the franchise. So if you're going to choose one, that's that's the one to choose, I think.
1: Indeed. Indeed. And I can cheat. It's my own show. I'm allowed.
0: You know what? That's fucking fair. That is totally (laughs) true. I cheat on mine all the time. People don't even realize it because I don't realize I'm cheating until afterwards. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to follow that up with a film that, dare I say, is even more epic. Oh. And this is a film, anybody who has listened to me talk on screen drafts, Or has known me since I was a child knows that this genre, particularly this film in this genre, are maybe my favorite, just in general. I grew up on westerns. I am obsessed with westerns. I've done an entire trilogy on westerns with screen drafts. And the only reason that this film wasn't included was because it was made for television. Ooh. But that doesn't stop me because I think one of the greatest fil- one of the greatest films of all time, and with my money, the greatest Western of all time, is Lonesome Dove. Beginning Tuesday night, TNT presents the greatest Western saga of them all, Lonesome Dove. Now complete in two nights. The search for an old flame. A test of an iron will. A legacy passed down. A sordid past left behind. And a frontier tamed by painful justice. TNT's special two-night presentation of Lonesome Dove begins Tuesday night, 80 student. Wow. And this is from 1989. It is the epic, epic uh, western uh, written by, uh, based on the novel by Larry McMurtry, directed by Simon Winsor. It is four episodes in length, 384 minutes total. It's it's a it's a lot. It's a lot of a movie. It stars uh, our titular friends here. You got Robert Duvall who plays Captain Gus McCrae and Tommy Lee Jones who plays Captain Woodrow Call. They are both former Texas Rangers. Uh, they work on a, a they they kind of run a livery together, and then they decide that they are going to take these uh, these residents of this small town on this cattle drive to Montana, and they're gonna they're gonna find this new land. And that that group of people, I mean, it's just it's just a fucking, I mean, stat cast. I mean, forget the fact that you've already got, uh, Ro- you know, Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones, but you've got Danny Glover, Diane Lane, Robert Urich, Frederick Forrest, D.B. Sweeney, Ricky Schroeder, Angelica Houston, Chris Cooper, Barry Corbin, Glenn Headley, like Steve Buscemi, like it's just it's just incredible, and this friendship you know, we, we start this film out and Gus and Woodrow, they've been friends for decades. Like, they've known each other since they were young men. So they already have such a a lived-in back and forth with one another. And it's equal parts like love and admiration and respect, but also equal parts like pride and like this kind of masculinity that like cowboys, particularly back in that time period, have, which is such an... inch. But you never once doubt for a second... They would take a bullet for each other. They would put their life on the line in a heartbeat. They would do whatever they could to help the other person out. And that friendship, even when they get separated, as it carries over the course of this film, I think is really inspiring. And I I think it it shows you that, you know, friendships are ephemeral, right? Like they come and go. Like there are people that you sometimes think are going to be your best friends for the rest of your life. Two years later, you may hardly speak to them anymore. You just don't know. This film, I love it because it, it, it's a testament to those friendships that do quite literally last forever. From the moment you meet somebody until the moment one of you like exits the planet. Like I think this film speaks to that. And it's just it's the best made for television film ever. The production value is incredible, the performances are incredible. When I say it's the greatest Western of all time, I mean theatrical television doesn't matter. I think it gets the scope and the grandeur of that Larry McMurtry novel. Um, but also still gives you those really intimate character pieces like there's something, you know, Robert Urich uh, plays a character in this named Jake Spoon, who has a whole arc in this that is just heartbreaking. And and I, I don't want to say too much more because I know a lot of people out there, especially younger generations, haven't seen Lonesome Dove yet. And um, and I would encourage anybody who hasn't to check it out. Yes, it's long. It's 384 minutes of your time. It's totally worth it.
1: This is one I also have not seen. And it's oh. because of that runtime. I used to, you know, when I'm working at the video store, I see that double VHS case. It's uh, it's daunting.
0: It's on my mind because I watch it every 4th of July. I've seen it probably 50 times. I, I Even with that runtime. I just, if it's ever on, I leave it on. Like, I'll just watch certain segments sometimes because I'm like, oh, I'm in the mood for this section. I want to see them cross the river. Or, you know, I just, I love this film. It's like, it's like the Oregon Trail come to life.
1: All right, that's a lonesome dove from 89, 384 minutes. Jesus. That's right. carve out a day for that one.
0: It is the showa of westerns.
1: <laughs> All right, top 5 uh, made for TV movies might be something I got to tackle here at some Ooh, point, too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, my grand finale here, um the other 4 on my list could have easily been exchanged and you'd probably like a lot of them to be exchanged with things on my honorable mention list, but number 1 has always been number 1 since the moment you brought this topic up. I rewatched it again just today. I paused it right before the climax to come record with you, and I will continue watching it afterwards. It's one that I've probably seen six or seven times, and it never ceases to entertain me. And the reason it's so entertaining is because you spend almost the entire movie just with these guys, whether they're most of the time in a police car. This is from 2012, End of Watch. And the police officer's Brian Taylor and Mike Zavala, played by Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, uh, Michael Pena. So this is about these these two cops, their partners, their best friends. They get way over their heads, and they get marked for death because they get too confident in their work and start digging into shit they shouldn't be, and they uh, get the eye of the cartel on them. But it's really not about the action in this, although there is some action, and it is really well done. It's about these two guys and them just being on patrol or being at each other's wedding or being uh, in the in the hospital after one of their kids are born you know one of the quotes i love you man i'd i would lay down my life for you dude something that you know gets tested in this movie a couple of times throughout the course of the film we we see the integration of their lives like the first time we see them in the car mike is bugging uh brian about like you you got to hook up with one of my cousins you got to marry one of my cousins uh, just because he, you know, he wants him to be a, a part of his his family officially. They're just inseparable. Mike, there, there's a moment in this movie where they earn a Medal of Valor together, where they show up to a house that's on fire and a lady runs out. She's like, my kids are upstairs, my kids are upstairs. And Brian's like, you know, he's kind of hesitant. But his, his boy, Mike Zavala, just fucking charges into this house. And without missing a beat, Brian's in after him and then they go back again because there's another daughter still in the house. And the first thing as they're choking on uh, on the smoke as they come out, they're on their hands and knees. the the only thing he's saying where's Z? where's Z? Where's Z? And they get together. like multiple times they're shot at the first thing, you good, you okay. like they're always checking on each other. They're enabling each other to do s- stuff that that is brazen, but you know what? I wouldn't want anybody else at my side. Uh, And, you know, one of the quotes, be careful, you just tugged on the tail of a snake, it's going to turn around and bite you back. And that definitely happens in this film. But God, I, I love this movie so much. I think it's pretty underrated. David Ayer's not one of my favorite filmmakers, but I think this is probably my favorite of his films. It's also got some great supporting people like David Harbour in a small role. Frank Grillo's in there as like a sergeant who's always giving him shit. I love this movie. Uh, always number one on my list. End of watch for Brian Taylor and Mike Zavala.
0: Yeah, this is a great one. I, I weirdly I didn't think about this one, but it's perfect. I love this film too. I'm also not a David Ayer fan, but he he got it right here. He got it right. Yeah. Um, it's such a unique film too. There aren't any other films quite like it. And and, and I really is great. Michael Pena is great. It makes me sad that Michael Pena just keeps doing these like ridiculous roles that like are not worthy of his talent because he can do anything and um but yeah this is a violent film it's a grisly film like it's not a happy film but it is like it is fun and there are fun moments in it there's great chemistry between those characters and yeah i mean i think out of if i was going to include one like cop buddy cop movie on this list this would be it yeah this is the one i think best represents what we're going for here fuck bad boys (laughs)
1: <laughs> i i considered a couple in that bad boy slot we'll get to that here after your number one though what do you got at the top of yours grand finale time
0: okay well this is the film that inspired me wanting to do this list it has not only become my favorite film of 2023 i think after now having seen it three times it's Ooh. one of my favorite films in general now um it is not available for most folks you're gonna have to wait it is still in theaters it is not out yet. It is, uh, Leoto Montaña, uh, also known as the eight mountains. And this is a new film from the filmmaking team, Felix Van Grogan, or excuse me, Felix Van Groningen and Charlotte Vander Mersch, who did Broken Circle Breakdown a few years ago, which is another film that I just absolutely adore. And I've been wondering and wondering, like, what are they going to do next? What are they going to do next? And I think they might have done something in the meantime that maybe I just missed. Am I right? No, that's right. They did that terrible, beautiful boy movie with Steve Carell, uh, mm -hmm. which I absolutely hated. But this one is an impressive return to form. So The Eight Mountains, it starts out set in 1984. It's about this boy named Pietro who uh, is vacationing with his parents in this rental house in the Italian Alps. Um, and he meets this other uh, boy named Bruno, and it starts what will become a decades-long friendship between the two. Um, they're they're best friends when they're little boys, but they get separated. One of them moves away, so they don't see each other for a number of years. Uh, by the time they see each other, they're both I, in their early twenties, and uh, the death of one of their fathers sort of brings them back together in a substantive way, and they start building this house, this cottage. That the dad had always wanted to build for himself, but was not able to. So they embark on this journey to do it together. And it kind of... It bonds them even more, and they become even more like brothers. And then we really just follow them over the next decade, two decades of their lives, and, and where they go and you know their loves and their losses and their successes and their failures but they're always you know just when i like the closest of friends like this is the this is the most platonic male friendship i've ever seen on screen in that if if it were to tip over into a romantic place you'd be like ah that makes all the sense in the world but it never does and it never thinks it never makes you think that it's going to you you are confident throughout you know they're just friends. They're as close as you can be as friends, but that's all that they are. And, and I really appreciated that. It is one of the most staggeringly gorgeous films I've seen in a very long time. It is shot in the French Alps. They get some mountain stuff in there that is just beyond impressive. Um, the it, It's shot, it's in a tight, it's filmed in a very tight ratio. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm so blown away in love with this film. And I just want more and more people to check it out because I think it is—it is just so incredible. And um, you just don't get films like this anymore. It's longer, you know. I'm not going to—it's—it's an it's, uh, hour and forty-seven minutes, so it's hitting that two and a half mark. It is entirely earned. It never feels long. Um, yes, there are some sad things that happen in it, but it's—it still ends in a life-affirming way. And um, I just hope more people check this out. I hope it gets a lot of awards. I hope it gets a lot of love because it's a really special movie.
1: That's awesome. I have not heard of this one, so I got to check this out when it either I guess at this point it probably when it comes to comes to disc.
0: Yeah, it, it it'll be I mean, I would expect it to drop on VOD probably within the next month, I would imagine. All right. It'll be on there pretty soon. If it's actually, you know what, if it's not already, I mean, Maybe its and isn't. I'm just going crazy. No, it's not yet. It's not yet. But uh, Just Watch says it will be available. Oh, that's right. You're not good for anything, Just Watch. So you don't <laughs> tell me. Um, it'll come out soon. So you won't have it's to coming wait, out like, soon. It may be playing at a theater near you. It's playing the art house circuit right now. So you may be able to find it if you if you look for it. I'm guessing that
1: this will be on at least on VOD by the time this show comes out, for sure.
0: Possibly so, yeah. Very very, very possible. But um however you see it, I, I would just encourage you to watch it. And if you haven't seen Broken Circle Breakdown from a few years ago, oh just beautiful movie making there.
1: Well, we had two incredibly varied lists here. All kinds of stuff for people to dig into. Let's recap our lists real quick for the listeners. I will go first. At number five, I had Greg and Earl from me and Earl and the Dying Girl from 2015. At number four, I had Bad Boys, Marcus Burnett and Mike Lowry. At number three, I had the guys from Clerks, Dante and Randall. At number two, I had Dom and Brian. And of course, at number one, End of Watch, Brian Taylor and Mike Zavala from the LAPD.
0: Well, my number five was Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann in With Nail and I. Number four is Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan in The Trip to Spain. Number three is Mark Duplass and Ray Romano in Paddleton. Number two is Woodrow and Gus, Tommy Lee Jones and Robert Duvall in Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove. And then finally, it is Pietro and Bruno uh, played by, and I'll tell you who they played by because they're incredible, Luca Marinelli and Alessandro Borgi. In the Eight Mountains.
1: Got all kinds of stuff for people to watch, no matter what kind of mood they are in. All
0: kinds of stuff. Yeah, all kinds of stuff is right. Like, very varied... Um it's definitely, uh, I'm, as someone who's always thinking mixtape, this is a really fucked up mixtape. <laughs> yes, it is. Really fucked yes, up mixtape. Yes, it tape.
1: is. Now, I had a lot of honorable mentions. I know you said you had a couple, which were some of those films that almost made it to your list. You mentioned 50 50.
0: Sure, sure. 50 50 was one, you know, I think it handles its subject matter pretty well. I just thought that Paddleton was a little more impactful. Um, I considered uh, a film called Close which was my favorite film of 2022. It's a French film about these two young boys who are as close as friends can be. Something very tragic happens. The only reason I didn't include it is because there is a case to be made that these boys would become romantically involved. It doesn't say that expressly. It's all me deriving that for myself. But that was enough for me to say... As incredible as this film is, I'm not going to include it on this list. I considered some of the biggies, right? I include I considered Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I considered Midnight Cowboy. I considered Jaws. It was hard for me not to put Jaws on this list. I got to tell you, it was really, really hard. Um, and then I a couple of really obscure. Well, The Cure I considered, which is a film from the '90s about a little boy who moves next door to, to a little boy with AIDS. And they become friends and go on this trip together. And then finally, the film that is a Matthias and Maxime, which is a Quebecois film from Xavier Dolan, which is a film I adore. It's about two platonic friends who share a kiss in front of a movie camera and start, and things change in their friendship. And it never goes out of its way to say anything specific, but it was one of those cases, again, where I was like... I could make the case too much that there could be romance there. Same with Close, so I didn't include those. But boy, oh boy, Close and Matthias and Maxime are just two of the best films of the last few years. So check those out. But those are really it. Like, that's really all the honorable mentions I had. There wasn't much else I considered. Like I said, Edgar Wright, I I decided I wasn't going to include him. Had I included him, I probably would have included The World's End.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering, out of the Cornetto trilogy, which one it would be.
0: Yeah, it'd be World's End. World's End's my favorite of those three, so that's where I would go.
1: All right. I had a couple that I had to knock off the list because they had already been on lists and recent lists. So Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Had to get that off there. Mikey and Nikki, I just had on a list, so I did not include that one. That's a real interesting one if you haven't seen that film from '76. Uh, and then I love you, man. Most Apatow movies, I guess you could probably put in here, but, uh, I love you, man had just been on, uh, on a list for me. Other ones I considered unbearable weight of massive talent has (laughs) a really great friendship between Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal's character.
0: Sure. sure.
1: Um, I, I almost put Harry and Lloyd from dumb and dumber on my list. I think that would have been fun to have on there. Uh, the stand by me kids were uh, I was considering I was considering Newman and, and uh, Robert Redford from the sting and then I already mentioned lethal weapon and then at first before I went to having no animated ones in here I was debating between either Mike and Sully or Buzz and Woody
0: I considered Buzz and Woody I, I really did and I that was that was one that I thought about a lot and it was like I, and I can't tell you why because I'll be honest like Toy Story 3 is probably top 10 movies of all time for me. Yeah. So I don't know why I didn't include it, frankly, but I did not And now I'm still kicking myself. I made the decision not to. I'm kind of kicking myself. Um, One that I forgot to mention, which I just want to throw out there, which I did consider was Danny Madigan and Jack Slater in Last Action Hero. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I considered it. I could have made a case for why that was 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 uh, applicable.
1: Sure. I thought about uh, like the kid with the with the adult protector actually for Terminator two, but yeah. uh yeah. didn't didn't end up putting it on my list.
0: Yeah. I mean there there are I mean, you know, yeah, obviously there are a ton more options than what I, you know, indicated early on. I just I had such very specific criteria that like you did, like we had to, or it was just gonna be it was gonna be too much to have to contend with.
1: No kidding. Billy Ray, awesome list. I got some movies that I added on to my very long, ever-growing list of films I got to check out. Yay. Um, we got to promote some stuff for you. So oh, what do you goodness. got coming up on uh, Movie Mixtapes? This will probably be out like end of August, beginning of September.
0: It will be getting near the end of the season for The Incinerator. So we'll be, we'll be getting towards our Tournament of Champion time. Uh, we've got some really awesome guests lined up for the end of the season. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, Movie mixtapes, we got a lot of fun guests coming up for you who are just listening to this. They might already be on the feed. But um, Billy Ray, uh, the other Billy Ray, the second most famous Billy Ray. Ah, uh, yes. Between me and Billy Ray Cyrus, the uh, Oscar-nominated screenwriter of Captain Phillips, The Hunger Games, Breach.
1: Shattered Glass.
0: Shattered Glass. Most importantly, the AMC Nicole Kidman ad. (laughs) Um, but he's but Billy Ray is going to join me on movie mixtapes we're going to be tackling a theme of journalism and the film we're kicking out with is broadcast news which is going to I'm sure make Clay Keller very happy since that's his favorite movie but I'm very excited to have Billy Ray on the podcast we have some other higher profile folks that we're going to be getting on a couple more Oscar uh, folks one who has actually won an Oscar So uh, and then uh, even a couple of Pulitzer Prize winners are going to join us as well. So we're getting a pretty stacked dais of guests, Um, but that's not really what that pod's about. We just want to talk cool movies and create cool mixtapes. Doesn't matter if you've won an Oscar or all you've won is like a Volunteer of the Year award at the Poughkeepsie YMCA. We'll still take it (laughs) as long as you like talking about movies and can do it cogently.
1: All right, links for everything Billy Ray Bruton will be in the show notes, so go check out movie mixtapes, go check out The Incinerator, and go check out everything else he has going on. I'll have links to social media down there as well. Thanks so much, Billy Ray.
0: No, thanks, bud. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to coming back to talk about grief.
1: Make sure to let me and Billy Ray Bruton know what we missed. You can find me at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram, and on the Cinematics Facebook page. Or you can email me at force 5 at gmail.com. Links to everything Force 5 and Billy Ray Bruton will be in the show notes, so please support our guests, listen to The Incinerator, listen to movie mixtapes, they're really, really good podcasts, and if you're a fan of politics, or even if you're not, listen to Center Clueless. If you'd like to support me, it doesn't cost you a goddamn thing but a moment of your time. Review the show wherever you're listening, follow me on social media, tell your friends about Force 5, and hey, while we're on social media, interact. Those couple very free, very simple things keep the show running and kind of keep me going. The Force 5 theme song comes courtesy of Nate Spears and the Top 5 list bumper was produced by me with music by Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some films with amazing platonic male friendships.